Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons on The Horn. Hour two here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. Going to get into some Sark audio from his press conference today, media availability today. We will get in to uh, E and Robbie talking about the Cowboys in the NFL. Last calls will come up a little bit later. More of your text messages, 512-337-3776. We are asking you, which Longhorn player is going to be the guy? That's, I mean, pretty much that's that simple. Which Longhorn player is going to be the guy this season? The one that B. John Robinson was a year ago. Sam Ellinger, Ricky Williams, Colt McCoy, Vince Young. The guy that makes you say, I don't care. This is who we're going to in the fourth quarter. We're about to win this game. When you're talking to Aggies, you're talking to Red Raiders. When you're talking to Sooners. And I know you don't want to talk to them, but when you are, who are you going to say is the guy that we go to? And the text has said, Quinn, yours is the guy it's supposed to be. That's who we want it to be. Xavier Worthy, second team all preseason, AP all preseason team. He's there, All-American. He should, he should be a guy that's there. Is, is, is Brooks going to be able to step up into that role? Is he going to be on the defense? Is it Jalen Ford? Jalen Catalan getting a lot of, getting a lot of uh, preseason talk. Is it going to be someone on the end? Is Alfred Collins finally step in? Is it JT Sanders? Send us in the text, 512-337-3776. We do have a couple more for Sanders. I like this one. I'll take anyone but the punter. If he's our most impactful player, it's going to be a long season. I think we're past that. I think we are past those years at the Longhorns, but never say never. you got to stay healthy. you got to stay ready to go. But I think there's some depth now at Texas, so it shouldn't be that bad. But it just seems as if when I'm talking to fans – and I'm talking to some friends of mine, and we're talking about the Longhorns. There's certain people that are just not fans of Sark. They're, they haven't seen him show that he can do it, and I get it. I Look, we can all talk for days and days about the playing in the third and fourth quarter, or the play calling in the third and fourth quarter, the play in the third and fourth quarter. We can talk about it for days, about how last season, the year before, it sucked at points. It just flat out sucked at points. And you, you don't feel comfortable with any lead at Texas. That's a problem. We know that's there. But that was there last year. And people still were drinking Kool-Aid last year. And the team is better than it was last year, except for there's not that guy. And there's not the run game because of Bijan and Roshan. But Bijan Robinson made people say, oh, man, if it's fourth, I feel a fourth down, we can give it to Bijan. If we can give it that, we can give it to Bijan. And before that, I said, why, why were teams really, why people were sold Sam Ellinger? You believe Sam Ellinger could take over a game. That was those years. And Texas normally has that guy. In years that people are drinking the Kool-Aid, they have somebody that they feel can be that guy. And they haven't had it. They don't have it this season. And they do. I think they do have it on this team. I don't think they've that there's a guy that has proven it to Texas fans enough. Xavier Work, they did it his freshman season. He did not do it his sophomore season. But that was due to other issues. Uh, I know that they wanted to have Isaiah Neori be the deep threat and Xavier Worthy do other things. That didn't happen. But maybe this is Xavier Worthy's year. Maybe he comes out and he puts in there. But this is the question. And so the question is, who's going to win the most awards? Because whoever's on the most award watch list, whoever's at the finalist for the most awards, that's probably going to be the guy. That's probably going to be the guy that everybody says. So if it is a defender, if it's Jalen Ford is going to be on all these lists, or if it's going to be Jalen Catalan for the defense, 
there's going to be someone else on this defense that steps up, then then maybe it'll be them. Maybe that'll be the one. But I think it's it, – we just got to take It's an open field. Exactly. It's an open field right now, so tell us, text on 512-337-3776. If you got someone off the wall, if you think there's somebody else who may step up, it's A.D. Mitchell. Does he come in and just blow everybody out of the water? Does C.J. Baxter take a step up at that running back spot and take the role and say, no, I'm a rookie, but I'm going to be the next running back at Texas? We don't know. Sark talks to me today. Uh, there was their second scrimmage this Saturday. Things went through. Uh, we're going to start with the offense. So there is some positives on the offense. There's not some positives. But let's start off with him just detailing uh, now that they are the end of what he calls the end of camp but now that we are, school has started, where, where they are with the program getting ready for the start of the season against Rice in 12 days. Here's Coach Sarkeesian. At the end of the day, uh, for us to kind of, that being the end of training camp in our mind, um, with school starting today, now it's about creating, creating really good habits, right? We, we talk a lot about in our team room about kind of the three phases of their life that they, that they operate in, right? They've got their academic world, They've got their football world, and then they've got their personal and their social world. And, and managing those three worlds simultaneously, I think, is really important. Um, and you do that through really good self-discipline. Um, and you do that through creating habits that ultimately start to become the routines of how we operate on a weekly basis from Sunday through Saturday and then recreating it again the next week. So a um, little bit of a different shift in focus. I will say for us, you know, big picture wise, this week is really about details, right? We've got a lot of stuff in, uh, in all three phases, and now we've got to really start to, to tighten the screws on the details of, of how we want to operate. And so this will be a big week for that. Uh, and then obviously getting into Saturday, having the mock game where we can, they can really get a feel and a sense of the routine from a pregame standpoint. And then working, we'll probably have about 50 or so situations that we'll work on Saturday, uh, various things that, that come up in game that you've got to be ready for from the sidelines, substitutions and different things. So um, a lot still to be done, uh, you know, a lot of work still to be done on that. So Sark basically setting up there, school is back in session. It is time to change focus on some of our goals and some of our uh, messaging that we need to change into to make sure everybody is now used to football not being 100% of your life. You now have to transition back into school. For a lot of these freshmen, for the guys that you, you know, an Anthony Barr, for a for a Jonte Cook, for C.J. Baxter, for, you know, Payne Kirkland, guys that are fresh, freshmen on this team that could see playing time, you have to now say, this is your start of college. We need to get you guys more ready to understand the workload of a regular class workload that you're doing and playing and to practice and everything so you're ready and we need you to do that in the next week because once we get to next week we're really starting to go and we're full force so there is a lot of that going on this week where it's not 100% football but you can't overload some of these players as they get used to they get started going into school as well so that's what he say it's kind of in a training camp and you're into regular season which now makes you a student athlete again, as opposed to basically just an athlete was what you were during the off or during summer. Sark also talks about setting the depth chart. We, uh, you know, he had talked about week two was where you'd start to see those position battles start to get a little bit clearer. Uh, and he talked about when he was getting setting the depth chart and where they're at, uh, getting an actual depth chart ready before week one. You know, by, by Saturday because. 
to be fair to them, they need to know who's the first unit, who's the second unit, who's the backup in all three phases um, so that if a guy goes down, if a guy's shoe comes off, if a guy's helmet pops off, that next guy needs to know, you know who's going in. And so to be fair to them, we need to continue to compete. We need to continue to find the right combination of people. Um, and, and, and the second part is, you know, 12 days from now, we're playing at 2.30. And so to think, you know, the same 22 guys are going to play every snap, probably not realistic, you know. And so we got to find the right combinations of whether it's a safety rotation or corners or linebackers or, or receivers, runners, to make sure that, that we're getting a nice blend of, of rotating those players so that we're really strong for four quarters. So saying that hopefully by the end of this week, we may start to see a depth chart. I doubt he will release anything to the media, to, to us as fans. I doubt he's going to release anything by the end of the week. But we will probably we will see it in, in one week from today. Going into Rice is when we'll see our first real depth chart and our real too deep and all of that coming out. Uh, but you, what it seems like is he's basically saying, I'm going to tell everybody what the depth chart is. We are going to go into it. Uh, into the into the next scrimmage with that, with the depth chart, setting up our ones and twos and getting you guys into the right personnel groups. And we will make sure that you're there, but I'm not going to tell anybody else what it is until after that scrimmage because we may have to move some of those around. And I don't want to tell you that, I don't want to tell anybody they lost their position in that scrimmage, but some of you guys, some of the players may do it. So we will not see, he did not say, uh, he did not say anybody yet. But we are getting closer to that. He did when it was asked about the certain position battles of linebacker, running back, defensive back, position battles that we all know are, are existing to see if there's going to be a set depth chart. Here's where he's at so far with those positions. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to do that yet for those guys. You know, I, I feel, like I said, I, I felt very comfortable. We, we played Saturday, the first kind of portion of that scrimmage, one versus twos, twos versus ones. It's kind of hard to tell the difference, you know. Sometimes, you know, the, those guys are such a good rotation right now. Um, you know, I think that we've got a great rotation at safety. I think we got a really good rotation at corner going, uh, really at the linebacker spot as well, um, and on the D line. Uh, I think receiver wise, there's probably a little bit of a gap between those first three wideouts and the other guys, um, and, and that's understandable. These guys have played a lot of football, um, but. but Again, different position groups are different to where I got to see what this looks like for a few more days before we really nail it down. Yeah, got to see it for a few more days. I, I think he knows. I think Sark would, could tell you right now exactly who's going to, in his mind, be a starter. But he wants that extra practice from everybody fighting for it, especially probably in one or two of those. And if he says, well, I know what it's going to be on D-line, I know what's going to be at cornerback, but I don't know what it's going to be at wide receiver, who the third wide receiver is. And what's funny is he says top three, and I know Isaiah Neuer is coming off an injury, but I would have figured it would have been closer to top four. Isaiah Neuer should have been in that because if it's Jay Witt and Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, who we all hear are standouts, and then Isaiah Neuer, you would hope be in that, right? As a deep threat, you would hope he'd be there. And I know, but then they get to the rookies, who he says good things about as well. Let's get into the offense, though. Because I'll let him explain it, but this is reports coming out of the practice were that Sark was not extremely pleased uh, about the offensive play. The defense looked good. The defense did their job. We'll talk about more about defense tomorrow. But here's Sark on the offense in the scrimmage that happened this Saturday. You know, I thought offensively, you know, there's, there's some good things. There's some things that we didn't do well. And I think that all boils back down to consistency, right? We weren't consistent enough offensively Saturday the way out that I would have liked it. And so 
Um, you know, the, and it wasn't like one guy or one position group. I think everybody kind of took turns. Um, so we have we definitely have to improve upon that. We got too many drops. You know, we, we're we had such a good camp up until that point of of really catching the ball well and making plays and. The ball just found the ground Saturday, so we, we definitely have to clean that up. I was impressed um, with their third down wins. I thought the offense stayed on the field and extended drives uh, with their ability to execute on third down, which has been a big point of emphasis of ours. You know, we were not very good a year ago on third down, so to see them do that uh, was good. It was great to have Xavier back. Really explosive day. You know, made a lot of big plays. Big catches for us. Gunnar Helm has been as steady as ever. You know, he's playing good football for us, just a guy to note. Uh, and our three young wideouts, you know, I, I knew they all didn't have the perfect day, but they've come a long way. And you know, when you talk about Jonte Cook, DeAndre Moore, and Ryan Niblett, really impressed with those guys from, uh, from where they're coming. From the quarterback standpoint, I really think their command has really improved, you know, at, at their varying stages. I think Quinn being a second-year starter, he's definitely in command of that first unit, and you feel good about that. Um, I think that uh, Arch and Malik both have grown in their roles and, and what they're doing and their command of the offense and taking charge. Um, obviously, we got to keep pushing consistency at that position, whether it's fundamentals, whether it's progression, whether it's pocket presence, um, you know, whatever that, whether it's tempo, whatever that looks like. But there's a level of consistency at that position that I think ultimately drives the unit. And so we got we got to keep working on that, which that's, that's why we coach, you know. But so that's his look at the offense at the scrimmage, which was him saying nicely, and from what reports we heard, that the offense kind of screwed up a bunch of stuff. That throughout it, that they didn't make great reads, that they had pre-snap penalties, they were not getting set in the right place. And what we've talked about on the show before, about focus, and about the focus of the energy to making sure, and it is, again, they're, you know it's a Saturday before the school's going, starting back up, they're trying to get everything set in the regular life. It's hard to go into practice and your second scrimmage. You got another scrimmage after that, and you just want it to be regular season. We're playing songs about waiting because you know what? It is. It's just tough at a certain point of training camp, a certain point of spring football, where you just start to get you just start to get so a spring and fall football where you start to get more and summer football where you start to get more and more annoyed at just taking the hits and doing the same plays over and over again, driving them in your head. But this is the point. This is where, hey, man, this is third and fourth quarter. This is the things that you've screwed up. This is where you think I'm up 21 points. I don't have to focus. And you pick up a penalty on third and five that makes it third and ten. And then on a longer pass down the field because now it's a, you have to change the play call. And now he throws a pick. And now the defense has field position. They put up a quick seven, and now you don't know. I, I get it. It's it's hard to do. But this is an important part of drilling it into the head of the focus. It becomes it becomes difficult. I get it. You may not want to do it, but you have to get into it. So we are now going into the part of the year where this offense luckily gets to get yelled at a whole, whole bunch. This offense gets to get yelled at a ton to get a reset on their offensive mindset, get back into focus, and although the things were not going the ways they wanted to go, they are now being able to change 
the mindset. Now, one of the things that he had talked about in previous uh, first scrimmage was that the energy in the second half wasn't as good as what he wanted it to be. If you're not playing well and you're getting pre-snap penalties and if you're getting, you know, you're not covering the right hole and you're, uh, he just opened up a kind of, the offensive line doesn't read a blitz or doesn't read a uh, protection right and they just split open a, a this, you know, the B gap and Jonathan Baxter kind of just runs, or CJ Baxter, Jonathan Brooks just kind of runs and, you know, a linebacker takes their head off because no one was paying attention and he just went, oh, we know, we know what defense this is, we know what Texas this is, what we're going to do. Those types of plays. But the energy was something that we talked about. Uh, can they focus? If that's what's happening in the first half of the scrimmage, you know you're getting lit up at halftime and that energy is going to come out a little bit better. Here's Sark when he was asked about what the energy was like in the second half of the scrimmage versus week one. I, I, thought it, I thought it maintained well. You know, I thought the defense, you know, um, the first portion of the, uh, of the scrimmage kind of got the better of the offense. I thought the offense had a really nice two-minute drill at the end of the first half. Uh, and then the offense came out in the third quarter and had a really good third down, fourth down portion. And then the defense finished really well in our red zone lockout challenge. So much better, much better energy. And we ran more plays. You know, I think last week we ran just about 130. This week we just offense and defense. We were a little, I think, in the 150s. And so we ran more plays. We tried to get it more game-like than we had it the week before. We had a little longer halftime than we had the week before to really give them a sense and a feel of what it would feel like. And I thought, you know, not only the players, I thought the coaches did a really good job at halftime and making sure our energy was right when we came back out. So the energy, he says again, the energy is good. But this is what happens. The energy is going to be good because if you suck in the first half and your coaches are laying into you and you're, you have a little bit longer halftime, I think that means we wanted to yell at them a little bit more. We really wanted to lay into them because there are points where they were not doing well. And if you're Sark, if that's if that's what Sark is, is a offensive guy and that's why he's hired and that's what they want, he can say all day long he wants his defense to look good. But it's going to piss him off if this offense does not play, outplay his defense. It's going to. So there's some things that Texas offense is going to have to work on. You want to see them improve in the second, in the third scrimmage. I think we will see some of those things improve. We won't see them, but we'll hear reports that they have improved in the third uh, scrimmage before we get to Rice because it is. You just sometimes got to get it out of your system. Sark also did talk about uh, Quinn Ewers. And how how Quinn Ewers now talking about getting his pass protections right and and you know being able to read defenses better and just being so much more comfortable in this offense with Quinn Ewers has talked about how that's helping the offense as a whole grow. Here's Sark talking about Quinn Ewers' growth. Yeah, I think I think it's it's calming, right? Um, you know, there's much less anxiousness or anxiety uh, amongst not just Quinn, but I think everybody, right? I mean, the, the quarterback permeates his feeling, right? And so when the quarterback permeates belief uh, and confidence, I think that instills that not only in the other offensive players, but really the entire organization, right? I mean, that's that's why the position is what it is. And so I think Quinn definitely has a lot of confidence right now. Uh, he feels very comfortable with what we're doing. He's executing at a high level, but there's little things that we, we keep working with him on. And uh, I think he appreciates that. I think he appreciates being coached. Um, because we're, you know, ultimately like every player, we're trying to make him the best that we can. Yeah, he he does need to still like being coached because he hasn't still shown that. And he looked better in the Washington game. It looked like he started to find things. And we all know what do we want to see? We want to see footwork. We want to see much better footwork. We want to see some more basics out of Quinn Ewers this season. But I think there is points of 
as being a leader for this team, as being somebody that can help help out the other players, help out the wide receivers get in the right spots, I think Quinn Ewers is taking a big step there. Now, this is one of the biggest clips of the day that we will play about Sark. Because Sark was asked, well, if that deep ball's there and you have an A.D. Mitchell deep threat, you have a Xanior or Jontae Cook or whoever else who can get downfield, and you're seeing that, that deep threat is there, does that open up mid-range passing for you? And will you be open to throwing the more mid-range passes this season? Here's Sark. Yeah, no, I think that I think that one thing that we're seeing is, to your point, you know, um, you know, AD Isaiah Jonte, these guys are really good deep ball players. You know, they they have the ability to track the ball and go make contested catches, and when it's one on one, that that's an advantage for those guys. And so now all of a sudden, when you got to pull a safety out of the top to go do that, um, that creates opportunities for Xavier. Um, to not always have to do that to create explosive plays. A lot of times he can do this. And when he can catch and run and get out the back door, like I think about his freshman year, he catches an in-cut against Texas Tech, and he makes one guy miss a tackle, and then he can go score from a distance. And so uh, it still ends up being a 60-something yard touchdown pass, but we only had to throw the ball 15 or so yards, and so that's helpful. But it also does it help them. You know, he, he, caught, a, he caught two deep balls Saturday um, because, again, all the attention can't just be on him, and you have to worry about other people on the field now. And so when he does get those one-on-ones, I think that rapport with he and Quinn is important, and it was really nice to see Saturday that, that we're able to hit a couple, you know, balls down the field to him um, to where we can take advantage of that as well. Not surprising. Sark took a question about mid-range passing and ended up in deep balls. But – that not that that was standing. The mid range passing game for Texas this year to be able to get yourself not stuck in longs, long, first and longs, second and longs, third and longs. Sorry, not first and longs. They say long, third and longs, fourth and longs. When you have a running back core that you're not a hundred percent sure of, you're not a hundred percent sure who's the guy and who's going to be at that level. We hope Jonathan Brooks comes out and takes the job, but we're not a hundred percent sure. You are sure that you have Xavier Worthy, who last season had to go deep so much that it hurt him, and he's in a really good catcher, and he can get a lot of space against guys in that mid-range game. If you've seen some of the routes and some of the goal line routes and stuff he would run last year, that was the stuff he could do at mid-range, where he's wide open, and I get goal line's different because it's not safety, but you can still get space off a defender in that same concept of breaking off, getting there, and that's 20 yards, and it's... That type of play calling for Sark is going to be vital, especially in the third and fourth quarter. But getting these guys to get to Jordan Whittington, to get him those passes in the middle, and he runs like a running back. So if you're able to get him a ball 10 yards downfield, 8 yards downfield, and Jordan Whittington can run like a running back with a ball but catch, like break a route like a wide receiver, that gives you way more options and gets you in much better situations that mid-range passing game to get the ball out quick to change up what defenses see when they're guarding you, to give Quinn Ewers some some more confidence in his passing that, hey, that's four passes in a row that you completed now. Instead of keep chunking it down the field, that mid-range passing game is so vital to opening up the run game, opening up the deep passing game, all the things that Sark wants to do, you have to have this. You can't, you can't put together what you're trying to do without this piece. And I know you... You keep wanting to do the other things to allow this to exist, 
But at some point, the mid-range passing game has to exist, or else those third and fourth games, third and fourth quarters become harder and harder because it's all based on that running back has to pick up, the running back has to average four to five yards a carry. And your deep balls have to connect at about a 50 to 60% rate. And those things are not always going to happen against good teams. They're not, they're not going to happen very often. So in the third and fourth quarter, if you say, well, now we can take it in and through 70% passing percentage, uh, 70% completion rate over the middle for eight yards. Now all we need is two yards rushing. That's all we need. That, that's a huge, huge difference. And I, it's it's something that he just Sark kept getting away from last year. He kept wanting to go for the deep ball. He kept wanting to, you know, and then you run Bijan and Bijan and Roshan are great, but you, you just keep throwing the ball down the field. That mid-range passing game, using Xavier Worthy in that mid-range passing game will be very, very big. We're going to take a break. We come back. I got a couple more pieces of Sark audio to get to you. We got uh, Ian Robbie talking about the, the, the Longhorns in the NFL. And then we'll get to the last call. We'll read some more of your texts. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line. Join the conversation there. 512-337-3776. We'll be right back on the Sports Complex and the Horn, 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons only on the Horn. Back on the sports complex here on the horn. Playing songs about waiting this week. Just waiting. It's waiting for football to start. For 12 days to Texas, but this weekend, we get some real football that matters. We get to see USC start. If you have the Pac 12 network, you get to see USC start. <laughs> what a terrible TV deal they have. But we'll get to see that. There's, so there's some Guns N' Roses patience for you. Because we need the patience to get through this week. And then we get some football that matters this weekend. I'm very excited for it. Continuing on with some more Sark Sound. If you want to join the conversation, 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line. Uh, let's continue on with a little bit more Sark Sound. i got a couple more pieces that I want to play for you. Uh, Sark was uh, asked about uh, the having depth now and having a little bit more uh, options in different personnel groups. If he would be, if he felt a little bit more confident in the different groups and being able to throw out things, uh, you know, if you're able to play, you know, empty backfield. We know Rob Babers loves some empty backfield. Uh, if you're able to play an extra lineman, all the different things you can do with those personnel groups because of the added depth you start to have now with this roster. Here's Sark talking about his confidence in the different personnel groups. Definitely, definitely. I, I'm. We are very comfortable right now changing personnel groupings and, and having a lot of confidence in the guys that are on the field. You know, the fact that we can go from 12 to 11 to 20 to 21, 10 for that matter, um, 
we can we can go to some big packages you know using an extra lineman and different things so that that's part of our makeup you know historically that's who we've been and i feel like that you know i've said this a lot you know the more things we can do really well the tougher we should be to defend and so our job as coaches is how do we build this menu out to where you're getting ready to game plan against us okay you're not really sure what you might get the emphasis on this week and so you have to practice all those things too and if we feel like there could be a weak link somewhere, then we can attack you out of a different personnel or formation, so on and so forth. And so to have that versatility right now is really encouraging. And um, like I said, I, I'm not even talking about JT, but that combination, those two guys have, have been really good. The receivers are good players. And we've, we've got an array of runners that do a lot of different things well, um, which part of it, Sometimes it's difficult because you're, you're calling certain stuff when certain guys are out there, but it kind of brings me a little bit back to being in the NFL where you, you've got really specific guys that you're, you're trying to highlight in a certain way and they know what their strengths are and what we're going to ask them to do and, and they do it with, with real conviction because they're confident in what they're doing. So there you go. This is with Sark. The personnel groups, one of the things I'm taking away from this is something that he's kind of hinted at a lot with the running back room and something that I'd like to see Jonathan Brooks disprove is that Sark doesn't feel he has a running back that can do enough different things for him, that he is basically going to stick out different personnel packages because he would rather use some of these wide receivers. And I know Sark would rather use the wide receivers and the quarterback's arm more than anyway. But to say, well, I'm going to have more quarterback, well, because I can put out Keelan Robinson, and Keelan Robinson can jump out and catch passes, and then maybe I'll run some more empty set with with no running backs, or maybe have a running back, and if if it's Keelan or or you know maybe even a Savion Red could step into this role once he gets healthy, uh, someone that lines up in the backfield, and then we we you know switch into an empty set. But other positions where I can put out more wide receivers on the field, where I feel I like these wide receivers more, and I want Jonathan Brooks to step up and be that guy to not allow Sark to not play him. We we saw it in the bowl game when he didn't have Bijan and Roshan, he did not feel the need to run the ball the way he needed to run the ball to win these games. So you have to force it, and that was with Bijan and Roshan. We saw multiple times last year with Bijan and Roshan that he didn't want to run the ball that he chose to do something other than run the ball with Bijan Roche on the bench. So I need Jonathan Brooks to step in there and be a factor enough to make Sark run the ball, to bring the balance to this offense. He wants to be a pass-heavy offense. I get it. He's going to be okay with it. He does it really well. But once you get in that third and fourth quarter, once you have not built up the – the goodwill with the O line and beating on this D line with run pass with run blocking because you're not just running up the middle because you're still pass blocking even when you're getting the ball to your running backs you're not ever beating on this D line the D line doesn't get beat down enough in this game because pass blocking it's really harder it's much harder to beat a defensive lineman than run blocking where you can get some more pancakes and it's a little bit easier to push forward because there's not uh, you're not going to get too many yards downfield. All of those things. It's just it's easier for an O lineman to kind of beat on a D lineman and a running back to beat on a D lineman if you keep running the ball. And 
it feels like Sark wants to throw the ball to running backs more than he wants to run the ball to running backs. However, that means the O-line has to play a different style, and it doesn't necessarily set up well for the third and fourth quarter because if you've been pass blocking the entire first first half and that D-line has been rushing and you know maybe they're chippy because they feel like they're getting held, but they're not getting beat up. You have to bring balance and quick passing where an offensive lineman can get a hit in on a guy and not worry about getting too far downfield before the ball comes out. Run blocking so he can get downfield. Those types of things to just set up to get yourself ready for that fourth quarter when you're going to need to run the ball. And when you're trying to run the ball, but your offensive linemen have been stepping back the entire game, and now in the fourth quarter you want them to lunge forward and get you that extra two or three yards, you have to set these things up in the first half. And I don't feel if Jonathan Brooks doesn't go out there and demand the ball with his play, with his attitude, with his leadership, it's going to be harder for this Texas team to convince Sark to run the ball enough because we know he doesn't want to. So I want to see Jonathan Brooks be that guy. I want to see him against Rice put up 200 yards. I know he's not going to play enough to do that, but, man, would you love to see that? Him get another big yard, big run like he had that 70-yard run. Show Sark he has some explosive ability. Show Sark he can pass pro. Show Sark he can do that and earn that spot and come up against Alabama and really solidify it because if he's able to run the ball, it changes the way the play calling can go because now you have a running back you can trust and you can leave him in the game. When you want to go fast, you can leave him in the game as opposed to switching out these personnel groups. It's great to have more depth in personnel groups, but you got to be able to run the ball. And then the easiest layup question in the history of mankind. I just wanted to play it for you. I love my man Chip Brown, but this is the easiest layup question he's ever given to Sark. Who is the best blocking wide receiver for Longhorns? Jay Witts, I mean, I'd argue he's the best in our conference. You know, I think he's phenomenal. Uh, he's got great strength. He's got a really high football IQ. He kind of understands where the ball's going to end up. And so he, he does a good job of gaining leverage on defenders. Um, and he's savvy. You know, I think, I think good blockers are savvy, right? They, they know when to engage. They know when to get their hands and when to get a little bit of a tug but not make it look like a hold. Um, so he, he's probably the best one. Yeah, that's the easiest layup question. Who is the best blocking wide receiver at Texas? If, if someone's better than Jay Witt, I'd love to know too. But that seems like the easiest love. And I just want to give Jay Witt some love because his blocking as a wide receiver is he's, – he's one of those guys, if you're a football freak, like many of you probably are, and just a sports fan like I am, that loves to watch guys do something special, watching him pass, like run block for passing and just what he does as a wide receiver blocking-wise, it's, it's so good. It's so much fun to watch. And watching him just DBs having no clue what's about to come hit him is so much fun to watch. So just shout out to Jay Witt there uh, because we were talking about which Longhorn is going to be the guy. And, and someone brought up Jay Witt and saying he's a guy that that you know Texas fans get around. And I think he is. I think you're right that Jay Witt is a guy that is one of the fan favorites that people really want. But Sark just doesn't throw him the ball enough. So he can do all those things that if you're if you really want to watch the game and you're watching off ball and you're watching what's happening with the blockers, man, Jay Witt's fun. But I don't know if he's the guy that people are going to tune into. We know he's not on all the uh, award watch list. They put out the AP preseason All Americans today. There, there was no Longhorns on the first team. There was one Big Twelve player on the first team, Cooper Beebe, the guard from Kansas State. That's your one player on the first team. Xavier Worthy gets on that second team. 
and Kelvin Banks gets on that second team. Solid pick. Kelvin Banks is very good. I'm glad to see the AP realizes that. And Xavier Worthy. I get last season wasn't great. I know Sark has come out and said that he he had a broken hand for half the season. It, you know, you have to believe with a with more depth in the wide receiver room, with another year of experience under Quinn Ewers, that Xavier Worthy is going to have a much better year this season. And I, I will say there is somebody still not on this list, and I believe it is because you know the AP and there's you can tell not a lot of Big Twelve players on this list. So. Jalen Ford, not on this list. I do not believe there was a Big 12 defensive player on this list. There may have been one I didn't see. I, I didn't see when I looked through quickly. But Jalen Ford, not on this list. Another one to put in a, put a little bon, be in his bonnet. Get Jalen Ford mad before this season. Get Jalen Ford where he is not happy and he wants to show everybody what he can do because we saw he came out and said why he stayed is his own motivation. He wanted to come back. He thought that he could have a season that now that he knows what he can do and what the team knows what he can do, that he can play a full season at that level. I think he wants to show it against Alabama. I think he wants to play in a big bowl game and show it out in front of everybody. He wants to play in a college football playoff and show out in front of everybody. But that's one more thing, him not making that list, is going to give him a, a bit more push going into next season. And I'm all for it. We're going to take a break. Before we do, uh, I wanted to play something uh, for me and Robbie. We're going to play something else. I'm, I'm going to call an audible and play this instead. Uh, I have it pulled aside for it. Uh, Bill Little, uh, amazing influence on Texas sports media. And uh, he passed away this weekend. Uh, there's been a lot of people talking about what he meant. I'm lucky enough that I got to meet the guy a few times, uh, being able to work with Craig Way at some games. I was able to meet him when he would come by and say hi. Uh, so it's very, uh, it's, uh, you know, thoughts to his family. I uh, appreciate, you know, everything he did for the people around. I did not have as much, imp- you know, I didn't work with him as much as some other guys. So I wanted to let Ian Rodby, who've known him for longer and work with him, uh, tell you, they talked about it this morning on Ian Rodby, uh, about the importance and uh, the legacy of Bill Little. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers, sincerest condolences uh, to the little family and to his loved ones. There were so many people close to Bill Little because he had been around for so long. I mean, he was pretty much a a fixture in tape. Kind of took him for granted, actually. Uh, and his great historic knowledge. Uh, I and mean, I, I said he was quite possibly the greatest historian. He is the greatest historian in Texas. You know, sport Longhorn sports history. And yeah, I hope you know that everybody who got a chance to interact with Bill Little and honestly it had been too long since I had seen Bill Little and hung out with him. Um, I hope you know everybody you know got a chance to uh, to really enjoy real the the knowledge that he could <laughs> he could give you about almost any subject when it came to Texas sports. Always learn something. I remember doing research and whether it be a rabbit hole I went down about stats or about a player and thinking to myself, man, I don't have enough background on this. I need to go talk to Bill Little. <laughs> yeah. I need to have a conversation about Bill Little about this subject and I know he would give me some insight and I know he would give me some type of wisdom about where to go with the subject matter. So uh, he will be missed. There's no question about it, but you're, you know, it, it, what you want to do in your life because we all have to obviously uh, go down that road is have a positive impact on others so that when you are no longer here, people will remember you and be inspired by what you did. There's no doubt Bill Little had a positive impact on so many people uh, for so many years. So uh, it is a celebration of Bill Little more than anything. Of course, he'll be missed. But. Oh, no yeah. question. 81 years old and uh, 
a true Longhorn legend, without a doubt. We'll have some tributes for him for him throughout the morning. And, of course, uh, upon word of that, most people got word early Saturday morning uh, after the overnight Friday announcement. But uh, uh, so many, you know, condolences pouring in. Mac Brown, uh, who is, you know, if you saw Mac Brown back when Mac was the head coach, you saw Bill Little uh, pretty close. All close the time. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he had a tweet that said, so saddened to hear of the passing of the Texas legend. Uh, there's nobody who no more cared more about the Longhorns. We lost a great man. Send our deepest condolences to Bill's uh, family and friends. Rest in peace. And I thought, to your point, uh, our friend Mike Finger, the uh, columnist down with the San Antonio Express News, uh, a UT graduate himself, uh, wrote it best on a tweet, said, It sounds ridiculous to say, but when hearing about the loss of Bill Little and wanting to put his life into proper historical UT context, my first instinct was to call Bill Little. Uh, he knew more about the program and the people in it than anyone who ever lived. Rest in peace. Agreed. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty well said. And that's true. And someone who has done this this radio gig since, you know, gosh, the late 90s, uh, got many a call or, or message from Bill Little. Hey, a uh, little, little quick note. I, I would say something or it would be a little, yep. a little off. He'd always, always, always in a kind way. No question. in a kind way. Yes. Uh, or just want to in, inform you a little bit more on something. Uh, Bill was always great and uh, an ambassador for the program and the university. Um, where he graduated from and, uh, you know, oversaw most of Darrell Royal's tenure, all of Mac Brown and, on you know, all of it through 2014 uh, before his retirement. And as I said in the headlines, I mean, the uh, the, the press box at Darrell K. Royal and at Dishfalk Field are, are the Bill Little, uh, and you know, in honor of Bill Little mm-hmm. for all that he did for so long. But uh, deservedly so. There you go. Rest in peace, Bill Little. Thoughts with his family. Uh, very lucky I've been able to meet him. Uh, we're going to come back and wrap up the show here on the Sports Complex in the Horn, 1019 AM 1260, hornfm.com, and the Horn app. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Last call. So either hook up now or go home and take care of yourselves. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's what I do. I drink. And I know things. Bring a pitcher of beer every seven minutes till somebody passes out. And then bring one every ten minutes. I'm very drunk, and I intend getting still drunker before the evening's over. Wrapping things up here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. Went a little over there, so we're going to have to get out real quick. Some shows to check out tonight for last call. Soul Man Sam is at Antone's, a legend in this town. He came from Memphis, but he's a legend now here. Flyjack is at Seaboys. And check out the Ravens and Commanders tonight. Uh, Ravens really good in preseason. Does it matter? No. The record changes every year, but they're really good at preseason. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and playing along with us on the Specs text line. We'll be back tomorrow with more Sports Complex for you. Until then, be kind to each other. Keep keep yourself safe. Keep your underwear clean, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on the Sports Complex on the Horn.